you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Welcome to the Megyn Kelly Show and happy Friday. We're going to get to all of the latest developments on Elon Musk's battle for Twitter. But first, the White House is on defense today following a series of self-inflicted controversies. First, there's outgoing Press Secretary Jen Psaki trying to convince reporters not to believe their lying eyes after Vice President Kamala Harris was repeatedly caught ignoring the government's own guidance on masking. You see, you have to do it, but she doesn't because she's special and you're not. And to top it off, the White House released video evidence proving (laughs) that Vice President Harris was, in fact, going maskless. I say the White House released that. (laughs) Saki also apparently just took a very cheap shot at Fox News's White House reporter Peter Ducey. You know, she goes on this left wing podcast and she gets all loosey doosey and attacks Peter Doocy uh, and really sort of shows her unprofessionalism on it. She'll fit right in at MSNBC. We're going to get to that as well. But perhaps the most disturbing of all is the way that the administration is handling the president of the United States. Yesterday, the president spoke at a historically black college in North Carolina, but it's not his remarks that are making news. Instead, it is how he walked off the stage that's causing some alarm confusion and, of course, downright mean responses online. Attention. If you owe the IRS, this is an important announcement. COVID relief is over and the IRS is ramping up like never before, sending out millions of collection letters to start 2024. Do you owe $10,000 or more or have unfiled returns? Now is the time to act. The IRS can garnish your wages, seize your property, and they can even take your home or your business. Don't let the IRS take advantage of you. It's time to call Tax Network USA. Their team of experienced tax lawyers has already saved over $1 billion in tax debt for their clients. They know how to negotiate with the IRS and can help you too. Visit TNUSA.com or call 1-800-245-6000. Again, that's 1-800-245-6000. 
Don't wait until it's too late. Take control of your tax situation today with Tax Network USA. 1-800-245-6000. Call now. You're cruising down the highway. Windows rolled down. Tunes blasting from the radio. You're in the zone and living the dream. Suddenly, your car sputters, coughs, and throws a wrench in your whole day. Tow trucks, repair bills, the dream turns into a nightmare. Don't wait until car trouble steals your peace of mind. Visit CarShield now at carshield.com slash carlson. For nearly 20 years, CarShield has helped millions of drivers avoid the stress of major repairs. They offer plans covering up to 5,000 parts and systems, from your engine and transmission to electronics and more, all for a low monthly rate that fits your budget. CarShield plans also include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, and rental options. Get peace of mind now. Visit CarShield online at carshield.com slash carlson. Join millions of customers and contact CarShield now to save 20%. Visit carshield.com slash carlson. That's carshield.com slash carlson. Visit now. Joining me now to dissect it all, the co-host of The Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show, Buck Sexton. Welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Thanks, Megan. All right, so let's kick it off with the wandering Biden video. It's very strange, especially coming on the heels of when Obama went to the White House last week and you saw a wandering Biden there just seeming a little disoriented. And then his media sort of defenders were like, no, no, you're misrepresenting. And actually, we had our team take a hard look at the video in full to see if we were misrepresenting because we hadn't said anything about it. And the media wasn't misrepresenting that. He really looked lost and no one wanted to be with him. And, you know, he was sort of like the unattractive girl at the prom. Sorry, but it's true. And now we get this. Let's watch it. Um, I don't know what's happening here, but it's not good for him and it's not good for the country. God bless you all. I don't know what's that for the for the listening audience. It's almost like he's in a glass box. He's at the lectern. He turns around looking at the drapes. It's almost as like as if he bumps into the drapes. He turns left, stops. He turns right, stops. Like he's it's, it's like he's boxed in a glass box and then he sort of meanders off stage and speaks to somebody who doesn't actually appear to be there. What do you make of it? Joe Biden is cognitively declining. And, you know, Megan, I, I always um, of two minds about this from a, from a commentary perspective, because on the one hand, uh, there's the this is reckless and was all along to make somebody his age and, and his stage of life, the president of the United States. And also just he's been visibly declining for a long time. Uh, and then on the other side of it, I also just feel the sympathy for watching somebody. I mean, I, I had a, a grandfather who I remember was just very similar in his uh, his movements and the the stammer and the just this is what happens when you're basically 80 years old, give or take, and you've reached that stage of life where you need to slow things down and think about other things. You should not be the commander in chief of a country that is having a lot of problems. Uh, and a lot of the problems, I think, are a direct result of the decision making of the actual Biden administration. So on the one hand, I want to point out what a farce this is and say what an outrage it is that 
somebody who it was just irresponsible. It's, it's not even a function of I don't think Joe Biden has good ideas, which I don't, or I don't think that Joe Biden was ever up for this, even on his best day, which I also think is true. I mean, this was always beyond the pale. I assumed at the beginning of the Democrat primary that Democrat voters would see it as such. Um, but because of COVID and because of the ability to really physically and visually hide him from everybody, they figured, oh, we can get away with this. Joe Biden's got the name recognition, the association with Obama. So they did it. I mean, Diane Feinstein, Megan, I'm sure you saw that article. Diane Feinstein is is uh, if she were the president, for example, there would be an absolute necessity to remove her from office with the 25th Amendment because she literally cannot do her job in the Senate anymore because of age-related infirmity, uh, and she's still a senator. This is not okay. This is not what's supposed to happen. But I think the Democrats have one overriding principle, if you could even call it that, which is power and the pursuit thereof. And so they're willing to, to just keep pushing forward these political brands that need to stop. They need to do something else. Mm, you've got Biden. You've got Feinstein. You've got Pelosi. Even Fauci yeah. is in the same age category as all these folks. And these are the people making decisions that affect, you know, for example, kids as young as two, you know, across America. They're making our policies. I was listening to, um, I think it was John Podoritz, but they, they were talking about how one of the promises of Biden was, you know, he, he was going to be the adult, right? Restore reason and the adult back in the room. And he was going to be the non-emotional measured guy, right? I don't think we anticipated he was going to be this uh, apparently non-compassmentous. I mean, he really doesn't seem together, nor has he been the unemotional guy in the room, right? He's he's angry all the time. He's firing off mean little comments about Peter Ducey, who's back in the news today, is being attacked by Jen Psaki as well. He doesn't seem he is sort of turning into the get off my lawn old guy who you're like, oh, it's my it's my upset older neighbor. But he's got massive problems, and it's not just Putin's war in Ukraine. I mean, we had Peter Schiff on this show yesterday talking about the calamity of these economic numbers, about the inflation and how the Fed, far from being able to solve this, is probably going to make it worse and how any politician would make it worse. But Joe Biden, who hasn't shown much of a spine to take on his base on anything, is really going to make it worse. It's getting a little frightening. No, it's it's irresponsible and, and it is unsettling. I, I think that uh, Democrats are really showing what they're all about by continuing to pretend that we can't all see what we see. And I think this has become a much more common feature of arguments that you hear from the left, which is that objective reality isn't what we can all recognize it is, as being. It's something that they tell us it is. Joe Biden's not up for this. Joe Biden shouldn't be the president anymore. They used to have conversations frequently about the 25th Amendment under Donald Trump. We remember this. There mm -hmm. were major news publications that would print editorials or they would have whole news cycles over at CNN, uh, the pretend journalism channel. And they would say that it's time to remove Donald Trump because he's crazy. Donald Trump was doing, I mean, you know, you and I, Megan, both do a lot of live performance unscripted. Donald Trump was at that point doing two, three hour rallies off the cuff in front of 60,000 people and, you know, getting uproarious applause and saying clever things. Look, you can disagree with him. You can hate him. You can say you don't like his stuff. But to say that he didn't seem like he was mentally sharp enough, that was just a that was just a, a fantasy that the left had. But they kept saying it all the time. And I think with Joe Biden right now, what you're seeing 
is what many of us expected from the beginning. This guy's a machine politician. Uh, he, he has benefited tremendously from the association with Obama, of course, in terms of his, his Democrat branding. Um, the only reason he was able to win the primary was because of the African-American primary vote, uh, voters who supported him so strongly, I think because he had been Obama's vice president for eight years, and there was a sort of a, a fond association that came from that. Um, and, and I think when you look at Joe Biden's record, there's nothing to suggest leadership skills, vision, or, mm -hmm. or excellence in any regard. I mean, this is a yeah. guy who's been running the oldest politician scam imaginable, which is roll up the sleeves, say, you know, folks and y'all, when you think you're going to connect with the audience, talk about riding the Amtrak, you know, the choo-choo, be blue-collar Joe. Everybody knows blue-collar Joe. Look at the big grin. He's got the Irish charm. He's actually kind of a jerk and has been for a long time and is not a very nice guy and lies a lot. And you look at his political record and it's just a big mess. So, I mean, the fact that Democrats elected this guy, it was like we 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 created some or they created some cipher during a pandemic and just said, well, he's not Trump. And that was it. Mm -hmm. We'll come back to the, the use of the pandemic as an excuse for lots of things when we get to the discussion about crime and guns. Um, but he's he was just in Iowa. He's going to run again. That's certainly how it appears. And that's notwithstanding the fact that the latest the latest Quinnipiac poll puts him at 33 percent approval, 33 percent approval. It shows Democrats are still hanging on in their support, 76 to 12 uh, in terms of approval of his performance. Independents disapprove 56 to 26 percent. Republicans disapprove 94 to three. Hispanic voters, 26 percent approval rating of Joe Biden. Um, and it goes on. The young people, just a 21 percent approval rating amongst 21 to 34 year olds. Uh, terrible marks on handling of Ukraine and on it goes, not to mention the economy, which is you know, heading in, in entirely the wrong direction. So how do they run him again? Truly, like, can they possibly run him again? But then can they possibly boot him out? So this is fascinating because I, I have this discussion with, of course, uh, my co-host, Clay, it feels like on a regular basis and, and also everybody else I talk to regularly in, uh, in conservative media. And we all have different theories. And I'll tell you where I think this is going. Um, I think that Joe Biden and his handlers, who really, it, it feels a bit like this is presidency by committee, because I think that whether it's Ron Klain or it's a phone call from Obama or any number of people with close access to this president, uh, he does what the people around him indicate he should do. I don't think he has a strong will of his own to push any of this stuff. Look, he is not a woke guy, and he's the figurehead of a very left-wing Democrat party. I mean, my, my best recent example of this is Joe Biden is, for his White House, and this is official White House uh, policy papers that have come out, are in favor of gender transition, including surgery and hormones yes. for, for prepubescent children. I mean, if you ask Joe Biden what a pansexual is, I mean, you know, Mr. Magoo would look even more confused here. And we all know <laughs> that there's something really off about Joe Biden leading a party that has gone so hard left in so many ways. By the way, I think that's in part of why the, the youth uh, polling is so against him, because he's not even delivering for the Bernie Sanders, you know, AOC crowd. Of course, Bernie Sanders is not a young guy either. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, as to whether he'll run again, 
I think he believes that he can beat Donald Trump again. I, I'm not saying he can. I'm saying I think Joe Biden believes and the people around him believe he could beat Donald Trump again. I think if it weren't Donald Trump on the Republican ticket, the smarter Democrats would realize that it's it's not a good matchup for them at all. Uh, I think it would be too obvious at that point that Joe Biden's decline, his poor results would be uh, too much of a liability. Mm -hmm. And so then you get into what happens. And that's in almost a sense, let, let's say that because when you're, Megan, 80 years old, give or take, and you say, and at that point, he'd be maybe 81, getting closer to 82. Uh, you say, yeah, for health reasons, I'm not going to run again. I mean, he could make that decision any day and everybody would right. have to say, okay. I mean, that's real. That's not, no one's going to say that that's fake. Excuse. So he yeah. has an out whenever he wants it. So then is it Kamala who steps in uh, and I think Democrats recognize they get annihilated or does it become Hillary? I mean, oh, God. those seem to be the only options. Stop it. What do, I've heard people say Pete Buttigieg, which is a joke, too. I mean, no none way. of these people yeah. is no going chance. to beat Trump or anybody else. I mean, Trump is both the strongest and the weakest for various reasons. He's got that core piece of the Republican base. But in a general election, he stirs up anti GOP emotion like none other. Um, and there is a question about whether the GOP base that loves Trump will come out for even a DeSantis. I can't imagine they'd miss the opportunity to to get Biden slash Harris out of there. But as we get closer, we'll see. Hey, as an aside, they um, the GOP announced yesterday, the Republican National Committee, they voted unanimously to not participate in the Commission on Presidential Debates sponsored debates, meaning those general election debates, not like the primary debates where you have 10, 12 people on the stage that get farmed out to all the news channels. But the sort of the big general election debates where they choose a Chris Wallace or, you know, whomever to sort of moderate. And so they said that we're not doing it because they're just they're stacked against Republicans. We don't believe in the fairness. Do you think it was the right call? It's 100 percent the right call. I mean, I, I think it's it's stunning when you think about how many years here I've seen. And look, I'll say this. One of one of Trump's mistakes was that he seemed to have a fondness to sit down with The New York Times and and want to give them long form interviews and long form conversations. And why? They're there. They're and they're anti-Trump media. I mean, they're there to essentially tear down your administration. They have no interest in fairness. CNN became an anti-Trump network for four years. Now, it's not like they were fair before any of this. But when Trump came along, they all of a sudden said, we're not even going to put a mask on about this. Yeah, we're, they we're dropped the veil. Mask. Yeah, we're, we're just going to go for it. Right. We're, we're now to to be honest and truthful and factual means to be anti-Trump. That became their official party line at places mm -hmm. uh, like CNN, The New York Times, you know, all of the high temples of, of leftist media. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's absolutely the right move. Um, and there's just no need for it. I mean, these the GOP voter has no the GOP voter who pays attention to the media has absolutely zero respect for the impartiality. That's not the same thing for, you know, the ability, the question uh, asking and answering, et cetera. I mean, some of these people are very skilled, but they're partisans. And there's no reason to have someone sit there and have really, in my mind, a, a lunatic lib like uh, whether it's John Harwood or I mean, Candy Crowley's no longer at CNN. I'm trying to think of some of the people that have gotten controversial over there about these things. Um, but even the ones that, that pretend to play it more down the line, they do until they don't. You know, they do until it's a critical moment. So, yeah, Megan, it's absolutely the right move. I don't know why the GOP allowed its candidates to get sort of punched in the face and yeah. have 
you know, dirt kicked in their faces for as long as they did. Why? We don't need these. We don't need these channels. These moderators makes no sense. I agree with you. When, when do they ever select a moderator whose personal bias might lean right? Name one. Who, yeah, right. Yeah. Like who's the one they've ever chosen who, you know, is a lifelong Republican voter and who's been criticized once or twice for taking the Republican line instead of the Democrat line. Right. Like they, it doesn't happen. Lester Holt is reportedly a Republican. To his credit, you wouldn't know that in his reporting. I don't think that he's a liberal shill either, but his questions are written for him. I can speak to this um, by producers. So he just goes out there and he asks what the producers tell him to ask. And Lester's not exactly known for his follow up questions at a debate or elsewhere. And so the left gets what it's what it wants anyway. Right. I mean, they're not going to put somebody like a Buck Sexton or a Clay Travis. They might they might put a me out there. Um, I don't know about today, uh, but they they want somebody who is reliably left. That's really what they're looking for. One big change that I think has occurred in the mentality of the right as we know it in this country is the abandonment of the false idea of the neutral space. Mm -hmm. Meaning that whether it's what your kids are being taught in school or the news you're being presented, the, uh, the, the podcast you're listening to about the news, whatever it is, there is no, you know, the, the decisions that the board of a major company is making, especially with regard to not just personnel policy, but political donations and all the rest of it, there's no neutral space. People are making choices. It's it's all life is all editorial at some level. Uh, so, yeah, there are facts. There's objective truth. But how these things are presented really makes a, a major difference. And in the, the schools, I think, is the, is the most classic example of this. Uh, although corporations now are right alongside it, where everybody who's a conservative says, wait, hold on a second. You mean that wokeness has taken over not just schools in blue states, schools all across the country and extreme wokeness. I just wanted my kids to learn math and and reading and this other stuff is going on. Yes, because it is not a neutral space. You have to pay attention to what is actually being taught to your children about the history of this country, about social studies, about everything, um, because the left has essentially seized all of what I refer to as the apparatus. I mean, they've seized the systems of power and institutional control in this country. Um, not through popular acclaim, not necessarily mm-hmm. through majority or majority voter, even majority opinion, just because they understand where the levers of power are and they have seized them. They've seized them in academia and Hollywood and news media and obviously in social media. And we're kind of waking up to this now in a way that is finally spurring people to action. So I think yeah. the Presidential Debate Commission is just an example of that. Yeah, I think it's a I definitely think it's the right call. I don't think the RNC should have been participating in this for quite some time. And I think no one's going to care. I mean, they're going to there's going to be some pressure. Maybe they'll find some way, maybe make it a pay-per-view, <laughs> you know, like the the GOP candidate picks one moderator and the the Dem candidate picks another moderator and they sit out there and they go and they, all the profits go to charity. But why should the GOP help line the pockets of all these channels that absolutely loathe them? And and be subjected to moderators who just time after time have proven they're going to put their thumb on the scale for for the Dem. Speaking of Chris Wallace, what do you make of uh, CNN Plus's debut uh, this past week or two? I do love all of the jokes about how while Elon is offering to buy Twitter for tens of billions, there are lots of people out there right now who are willing to buy CNN Plus for tens of dollars um, <laughs> or, or the equivalent thereof. Look, they. CNN is is a legacy media institution. I think someone said they'd pay 38 bucks for it instead of 38 billion or 48 billion, whatever Elon offered. 
Um, uh, there, there's no reason to believe that CNN was ever going to be able to pull this off if you looked at it objectively. I think C- I think Trump broke CNN. Um, mm-hmm. I think that they have still really not emotionally recovered from that. If you look at the leadership there, uh, it was run by um, bad people. I mean, Jeff Zucker is a nasty, dishonest person. I, I worked there for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know all kinds of stories. And one of the fun things, Megan, when you're just, yeah. you know, uh, when you're just a, a, a lowly contributor to some of these places, you know, you become friends with the PAs and the APs and the and the personal assistants, and you get to kind of know the, the other people at your level, and they know everything about these individuals. Mm-hmm. So nothing about Chris Cuomo was surprising to me. Nothing about Jeff Zucker was surprising to me. And just go down the list. I mean, that's obviously on the just, you know, um, on the malfeasance side of the equation. And that's why those guys got booted. Um, but beyond that, um, I'm sorry, I just get so wrapped up in trashing CNN because it's such a fraudulent, e- even the people over yeah. there, by the way, who were supposed to be honest brokers. I mean, Jake Tapper is a lib activist. I mean, he's, and he's kind of a nasty guy. So it's not a surprise when people on the right react really poorly to, oh, well, we could have you know, we have some CNN people who are right down. the. No, they actually aren't right down the line. He I will um, say he's my fa- if I have to pick a favorite CNN or it's Jake. I mean, he, I have a personal friendship with the guy. So I, I, I have that bias. No, yeah, you should always but, stand up for your friends. And I appreciate that. I think he's yeah, they, they, on Twitter for no reason. And I think he's a fraud. So, you know, but but you th- look this at is the, all professional. I don't even know. Him. Yeah. But, but you look to your point, you look at the primetime lineup at CNN and they they've all jumped on board. I mean, they're all suffering Trump derangement syndrome. There isn't a person left in the primetime lineup that's even trying to pretend to be fair. And it's extended past Trump into just the GOP. I mean, now it's in the wake of Trump. You wonder, like, are they going to go back to their normal selves? Like to, well, I guess this is the normal self, the new normal. But like, are they going to go back to trying to be fair to both sides? And the answer is no. Otherwise, Don Lemon would be fired and Anderson Cooper would have reined it in by now. And that's not happening. But just one other point. Who is the moron at CNN who actually thought, you know what we need with our ratings in the toilet? More of us. We need more CNN. What, what, there's more appetite for uh, these anchors who no one will watch when it's free, well-ish, um, in prime time, And they're going to pay extra out of their pocket to watch them cook or talk about books or interview people who are about 200 years old. Yeah, it made no sense. And, and honestly, uh, Chris Wallace, whom, again, I don't know. I don't know Jake personally. I don't know Chris personally. I mean, these are not people that I, I have spoken to. So I'm judging them by their work and the decisions that they make publicly. Uh, Chris Wallace, and obviously comes from a a famous journalism family, and I think was very fortunate to have the role that he did at Fox for as long as he did and get paid the kind of salary that he did over there. He was last. He was in the last place every every week, every year, every month. Yeah, he was always in last. And they still paid him. I mean, he was he was overpaid and it was nepotism to begin with. And then he decides he's going to go over there. Why? Who's going to who's going to shift over to CNN? But the bigger problem for me, Megan, is the notion that CNN is a more ethical or because that's really what he was saying. I, I can't yep. be at Fox anymore because Fox is honest about what it is. Fox he is left and just interject, interject. He left after the Tucker Carlson um, January 6th special, which he said was just like the last straw for him in an interview with The New York Times and sort of looking to curry favor, obviously, with, I guess, the left or the mainstream, you know, like the, uh, Tucker. That's he was yeah. too much for me. He, it's like, he, he who, didn't say who's it was your fan base? It, it, it was, he said it was the last straw, meaning that he couldn't take it. You know, there was so much going on over there yeah. um, because there was so much that was, you know, journalistically unethical. CNN pretended that Donald Trump was a 
Putin puppet for four years and colluded with intelligence elements as well as other media organizations and the Democrat Party to lie, to lie about a sitting president to try to have an internal coup to remove him from office using really third world tactics and has never owned up to this at all, has never owned up to this at all. Right. You know, the publishing of the dossier and then the pushing the dossier on everybody and having the meeting with Clapper, all of this stuff, Megan, it was all lies, the whole thing, right? And then they had these, these 51 people who said that the laptop, from some of whom I worked for, by the way, said that the laptop was a lie. And uh, I mean, you know, the laptop was Russian disinformation, I should say. Yeah. They all get, you know, they're all like CNN contributors and, and MSNBC contributors. I mean, I keep going to CNN. There's a lot of these places. So on what in what world is Chris Wallace going to CNN because it's so ethical and journalistic? I think he's delusional. point. It's a good point. And, and you wonder, like, who's his fan base? Right. It's like so he's doing look who's talking to Chris Wallace, I think, is the name of the show. And it's like, OK, that you were in fourth place on Fox News for the entirety of your career on Fox News Sunday. So no one was choosing to watch you, but Roger was loyal to him. And then they kept him in place after Roger Ailes left and then died. And now you're going to jump to CNN because why? You think the the liberals are going to love you because you were tough on Trump for all those years? They're not. They saw you as a useful foil. And to me, like when I was deciding whether I was going to stay at Fox or leave Fox and I decided to leave Fox because I wanted to see my children and it just there wasn't a role there for me that would have allowed me to sort of do what I wanted to do and still see my kids. Um, I considered going to CNN. CNN made, made me a huge offer, huge Jeff Zucker. And I said no, Buck, because I knew who's my fan base going to be over there. I don't you know, my, I knew who my fans were and I knew that my Fox viewers were not going to follow me to CNN and that the CNN viewers were going to hate my guts. So I decided to sort of get out of the politics game and go do morning TV and to try to do something that was more Oprah-esque, which was a disaster for different reasons. But I, I understood switching sort of political ships um, was not going to lead to success either. And I can see him suffering from that very problem. Right now, as CNN Plus, literally the, the reports are that it has 10,000 subscribers. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Abby's got more people than that following her on Twitter and she's not on Twitter. <laughs> Look, I think I think in our business and, and especially maybe some people who have been doing this uh, all along. And I know you came from a legal background beforehand. I was a CIA analyst beforehand. Um, I, I think that they they forget how much luck actually plays a role in all of this and how to be paid a lot of money to be on TV, to do a job that honestly a thousand other people could do, maybe not quite as well, though in the case of Chris Wallace, I think honestly, you know, there were a lot of people that could do that job. Um, and I, all along, I was like, you know, I, I would prefer Brett Baer in this role, but you know, that's just me. Um, mm -hmm. Point being, I think that it, people, it, the moment you lose that sense of humility, uh, that you're really lucky and that you should just focus on the work and doing the best work every day, um, there's a lot of egomaniacs in our business, as you know, and there are people mm -hmm. that all of a sudden think that they're super special and really important and they deserve mm -hmm. enormous salaries that aren't actually commensurate with what their value would be outside of very narrow context of a few executives at a certain organization that may like them or want to support them. And, uh, I, you know, I mean, I know Chris Wallace is making a lot of money over at CNN. He's never going to have an audience. Over there. No one's ever. Yeah. So the thing about the daily fits and him being angry, it's never, never going to happen. So mm -hmm. good luck, buddy. Yeah. Good luck. Well, meantime, Jen Psaki, as all these White House press secretaries do, I mean, they all, they all what they really want is to be stars. 
I'm sorry, but it's true. They take that job because the, what they really want is to host a cable news show. Uh, and I could go down the list of people who have successfully used it or try to use it to parlay themselves into a cable news job. And Jen Psaki is the latest who now wants to be at MSNBC having her own show. Meanwhile, she's doing these negotiations behind the scenes while she's still hosting this, having this job as White House press secretary. Um, and what does she do? She's making the rounds. She's going on um, Pod Saves America. The the far left Obama guys have their podcast, which is popular with liberals. And while on there, she gets asked about Peter Ducey and whether basically he's a jerk. And uh, do we have the soundbite? I'm just trying, yeah, just trying to see if we do. Oh, we don't have it because they don't release it until later today. Uh, but they ask her basically if he's some sort of an asshole. Forgive me. That doesn't count from my Lenten vow because I am quoting somebody else. <laughs> and she basically says, oh, he works for a network that feeds its questions to people in a way that would make anybody sound like like a jerk, like like a blank. And um, I'm thinking to myself, number one, I've worked at Fox News and they actually, unlike NBC News, they don't feed the anchor. The questions Fox News. I laughed when I went over to NBC and they were like, here, the producer's writing all the questions for you. I'm like, why would I take the producer's questions? Why would I do like I'm the anchor? It's literally my one job <laughs> to come up with my own questions at Fox News. Nobody ever wrote a question for me ever. Not in a not in a presidential debate, not on a on a big night, not on my nightly show. And I guarantee you nobody's writing Peter Ducey's questions for him. Uh, and if that's what she's expected at, at MSNBC, I don't know what she's going to get on the cable arm, but I think cable's a lot more scrappy than network. So she's probably not going to get it there either. Um, and she decides to take a shot at him, right? Because he's the only one willing to ask her tough questions, Buck. Yeah, it's it's pathetic. And honestly, it, it's just a reminder to everybody. Well, of so many things. One is that when when Trump was answering questions from a media that was 95 percent hostile and they were saying that he was a threat to the First Amendment and authoritarian, a fascist even. I mean, places like the Atlantic owned by a billionaire, of course, uh, places which sometimes billionaire ownership is a problem, Megan, and sometimes billionaire ownership is. Absolutely Depends, different. right. Depends on the billionaire. Yeah, yeah it depends on who. Uh, they were calling Trump a fascist. The reality of authoritarian regimes is that the media supports the person in power. You, you don't you don't have a massive multi-billion dollar media apparatus arrayed against the person in power in an, in a, in a fascistic dictatorship or authoritarian regime or any of that. Uh, and, and they never seemed to pick that up or they didn't care. I mean, the whole thing was was absurd. You know, democracy dies in darkness because of Trump. Oh, please. And now you have the only questions worth hearing. From this, just the perspective of speaking truth to power, getting answers this White House doesn't want to offer up. The only questions I, I personally at least ever hear, and now I'm not watching the press conference every day. I'm, I'm usually on air doing radio during the press conference. But Peter Ducey asks things that are worthwhile because the rest of it is just an opportunity to spew more talking points from the podium yep. and, and essentially allow Jen Psaki to be chief propaganda czar. So what's the, what's the point of that exactly? What, you're not going to find out anything. I mean, crime in this country is really bad because of stupid Democrat ideas. The border is the worst it's ever been because of insane Democrat ideas. Inflation is really bad because Democrats don't understand economics or don't care. There's a lot of stuff going on that we need answers to. And instead, we usually just get, you know, Green New Deal and climate change and diversity and inclusion. And what? I mean, it, it's it's mm -hmm. nonsense. I mean, you know, if we had a real press corps. Those press conferences should be testy, Megan. It should be interesting every day. They should it's be not. exciting. Yes, exactly yes. right. Here's the exact quote. Peter Ducey works for a network that provides people with questions that 
might make anyone sound like a stupid son of a bee. Because the question was, is he really as as much of a stupid son of a bee as we think? And she's like, he works for a network that provides people with questions that would make anyone sound like a stupid SOB. Um, I know it's annoying to be asked tough questions, but it's literally um, your job to answer them in that role. And you do better to be honest. I mean, even the president came out and tried to say that Ducey uh, made up his the basis for his question about, you know, you said you would respond in kind to Russia uh, if it uses chemical weapons. Was that smart? You suggested to U.S. troops that they were going to go into Ukraine. Why would you do that? You suggest you, you called for regime change with Putin. Why would you do And he denied it. He just said those are lies. Well, we have you on tape. We know you said it. So is that the stupid SOB question that you're referring to? All right, let me pause because there's another stupid SOB question. Peter Ducey asked um, tongue in cheek about the vice president refusing to wear her mask while the while the rest of us losers would have to. So says she through the CDC. Uh, and yet she was caught not following the rules. Jen Psaki on the ropes trying to deal with Ducey's questions on that. Buck Sexton stays with us. We'll play the soundbite right after this. It's another morning, and you're all set for work. You grab your coffee, head out the door, and your car decides today's the day it won't start. Panic sets in. You're not just late. You're stranded. Get ahead of unexpected car repairs before they strike with CarShield, the most trusted vehicle protection company. For almost 20 years, CarShield has saved millions of drivers from repair nightmares with low monthly plans that cover up to 5,000 major parts and systems like pricey transmission and engine repairs and check engine light mysteries. Visit CarShield today at carshield.com carlson. Plans include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, help with flats, lockouts, and rental car options. Save 20% and get a free quote by visiting CarShield online at carshield.com slash carlson. Don't wait for the next surprise. Choose peace of mind with CarShield. Go to carshield.com slash carlson and save 20% today. So, Buck, um, my 12 year old last Saturday was exposed to somebody who was covid positive. And because he's not vaccinated per the CDC guidelines, which our school follows, he was not allowed to go to school this week. He has he doesn't have covid. He doesn't have a single symptom. He's perfectly healthy. And he had to stay at home all week doing, quote, remote learning on some of the classes that offered it. Otherwise, he just sat at home doing nothing. Uh, It was a totally pointless exercise. Covid's gone. Even Fauci has basically admitted it's at best, I mean, at worst case scenario right now, an endemic. And uh, he had to sit at home. And if he was going to go outside, technically, according to CDC, he was supposed to be masked. We didn't do that. Um, And guess what? We're in good company because Kamala Harris was in the same boat as my son. She was exposed to, I guess, somebody who was covid positive. And even though she's vaccinated, she was supposed to be wearing a mask around other people. And she didn't do it because it's a stupid ass rule. (laughs) And so I'm on her side not to do it. But I'm not actually on her side because she wants me to do it. She wants you to do it. She wants my son to do it. But she won't actually do it. And Jen Psaki got asked about the fact that Kamala Harris was presiding over the vote on um, Katanji Brown Jackson. And um, she she didn't wear the mask. And Jen Psaki dodged and she felt uncomfortable. And you could see how awkward it was. It didn't go well for Jen Psaki. 
And she tried to suggest that Kamala Harris really was wearing the mask all day except for these one moments. And then that got proven to be a lie. But here's some of that exchange between Harris and, and uh, between uh, Saki and Peter Ducey. You noted that um, Vice President Kamala Harris is considered a close contact. Um, CDC guidance um, says she wore a mask. Today she was presiding over the vote for um, Kintaji Brown-Jackson and didn't wear a mask. I haven't seen, I've obviously watched most parts of the vote, but I know that she was alone up kind of on the dais for the vast majority of that. Tomorrow during the event, or if there's any reception behind the scenes, will she be required to wear a mask indoors? She'll follow CDC protocols. Is there a carve out in CDC regulations for COVID for vice president? The CDC says for people exposed to COVID up to date on their COVID-19 vaccinations, do not go to places where you are unable to wear a well-fitting mask. So why is she here at the White House today, giving the new Supreme Court justice a big hug with no mask? You mean when she gave her a, mask, a hug outside? Yes. She was outside. Does the CDC uh, say the people who are in close contact can give people hugs outside? We know, Peter, that outside it is uh, it is a, you are it's you can benefit significantly being outside. That's why we have we had the event outside today. I will tell you that the vice president has been wearing a mask inside. You said on Friday that um, the vice president was masked indoors all day, but the White House tweeted a video showing her standing over the president without a mask on. Can you explain what happened there? Well, I would say that the vice president and the president and all of us abide by what the CDC protocols are. It was an emotional day. It was a historic day. And there were moments when she was not wearing a mask inside, including in a photo. But she was wearing it 99.9% of the time. It was an emotional day, Buck. It was an emotional day. And that's the secret exception to the CDC regulations. Maybe you didn't know that. The virus respects important occasions. Um, there's a lot of science on that. I'm sure they could trot little Fauci out and have him tell some lies about that, too. Uh, I'm just like, I'm just going to say this. And, you know, my my record on this one uh, speaks for itself. Uh, I told everybody two years ago, I mean, by early April, and I mean, really two years ago, that the lockdowns were completely insane. Masking was absurd all of these things that we're doing, the only thing that I uh, felt was likely to be substantially helpful was vaccination. Um, and so my parents got vaccinated. I actually got vaccinated against my will, basically here in New York. But and the vaccines were good at very in a very similar way to what they are during the flu season, which is helping people who are at risk uh, from having a severe complication, a severe case didn't obviously do very much at all to stop the spread. I mean, that was a joke. So they were pretty much wrong about everything is, is really what I'm getting to. And I don't think it can it, it will not settle in their minds yet. Uh, the, the Democrat left tends to be very collectivist and it's it is very collectivist in its thinking. Uh, and this was there's so many layers of this. Megan, that it's almost it's almost hard to get to why they're still going through this mass hysteria. Why are people in New York City walking around the streets still outside alone? Yep with N95 masks on. Like, what do they not get at this point? What do they not understand? Uh, for some people, this is just about, uh, it's about power and not allowing the narrative to be, we were wrong about pretty much everything, that Fauci is the most disastrous public health expert. I think you could argue in the history of the world, certainly in the history uh, of the you know modern United States, uh, that so many of the things that they told us and that the science told them were wrong, that they've lied to people. They put people through misery. They had 
four-year-olds eating lunch outside in 35 degree weather with masks on because they're either cowards or idiots. They were doing that to little children in New York City. They're still masking up kids here in the city, which is yep. completely inexplicable. They're masking up people on planes where they're safer than they are in almost any other congregate setting because of the filtration system on planes. It's also not a mask up policy. It's a mask up between bites policy. I try to explain this to people in the most simplistic terms, and they always go, yeah, you're right. Imagine, Megan, if we were all trying to avoid getting poison ivy, and you're really, you know, and imagine you could really only get poison ivy once, and you were wearing gloves and long sleeves and everything, but, you know, when it was an important or historic occasion, you took them off and you grabbed that, you're going to... I mean, this, this is this notion that masking up between bites does anything is lunacy. Yes. And that's federal policy on airplanes. This idea that people in any way, shape or form are benefiting themselves through partial lockdowns. You want to see a lockdown? Lockdown is what Shanghai is doing, which is mm -hmm. appalling. I think Fauci sees it and says, yeah, I wish we could go that far, but not quite yet. Uh, lockdown that only involves people not really going to restaurants as much. Obviously, it doesn't stop the spread, doesn't do anything. They keep lying, Megan, because otherwise, I don't think people will ever trust the health apparatus again. And I think this is to the credibility of the Democrat Party, to anybody with an IQ above that of a toaster who's not just ideologically brainwashed. This is an, this is an existential threat to the credibility of the Democrat left on health issues, on health policy, on all of it. Mm. Well, I, I heard you had some sort of a dust up on a Delta flight lately involving a mask. And, I, you know, I've been thinking about the absurd ongoing mask mandate on, on public transportation on the airplanes. And I've decided my next flight, as I'm sure they're going to keep it longer than two weeks. I just I don't they're never taking it down. I, but it, let's say it's within the next two weeks and I have to go on a flight. I've, I've got the solution. I'm going to get on board. I guess I'll have to wear my mask as I walk on the plane. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to take out a candy apple. <laughs> I will never have to put the mask up the entire flight. Have you ever tried to eat a candy what, apple? <laughs> can I tell you what happened on my Delta flight? I yeah, mean, just happened? so you understand what, what we have to deal with sometimes here. Um, I was taking too long. I was eating and drinking, but I was taking too long. It was, excuse me, sir, I'm going to need you to pull your mask up. I'm, I'm sitting there with the cup, with the, you know, with the little crackers or whatever. What? Taking too long. Yes. You, you were chewing too slowly? Yes. <laughs> Going too slowly. <sighs> Sipping too slowly. Because <sighs> the people who do this are either morons or on a power trip. There's no third option, right? I mean, any airline attendant, and I've got lots of airline attendants and pilots who listen to my radio show. Uh, and folks should also check out the Buck Sexton podcast. But uh, <laughs> they, they will tell you that they hate these rules. And they yes. never enforce them unless someone complains that they're not enforcing them enough. The people that walk around like the mask Stasi, you know, the ones who act like the COVID Siberian prison guards, like they're doing this <laughs> because they want to. And it's and they're so dumb. And the fact that Jen Psaki gets up there and ask, acts like it's somehow, you know, an explanation that every Democrat who's been a total lockdown or a huge fan of all this stuff at one time or another, it seems, has been caught flagrantly violating the rules that they're imposing on the rest of us. Because just like everything else about their ideology, they'll believe anything as long as it lets them feel special, powerful and better than everybody else. And they'll go along with anything as long as it lets them achieve those things. They'll say whatever. And that's what you've seen with COVID all along. Does anyone really think that masks work at this point? I, I am I am fascinated by that argument. I'm fascinated by the complete refusal to look at the reams. I mean, the mountains of data. Places that did mask, places that didn't mask, places that ran control studies, places that actually crunched the numbers. Never has it worked. There Never was just a study. Oh, there was just a study. Um, I, I think it was Marty McCarry reciting it. 
No, it was from overseas. It might have been from the Swiss. Uh, Denmark at, or uh, it was either Denmark or uh, the Netherlands, right? Is that what yeah. you're talking about? Yes. Yeah, and it, it took a hard look just very recently at masking kids versus not masking kids. And they and they took a look at their, they, these were 10 to 12 year olds. Right. So like the right. the the group that allegedly starting to get more contagious. And it proved that if it was basically the same, you know, you caught it or you didn't catch it at the exact same rate, whether you wore a mask or not. Yeah, it, I mean, the the ones wearing the, the mask. actual data was the mask kids, yes. as you know, the mask schools had actually a slightly, slightly higher, higher rate of COVID. Yes, yes. So that yeah. won't be discussed here in the United States as oh. we literally are starting to remask children. There is a school, it was not far from where I lived in the Upper West Side, named Calhoun. R- rumor had it, Matt Damon sent his kids there for a little while. Um, I saw the memo myself. They're they're remasking the kids. They started as of this week because of this, you know, slow rise in this variant that does absolutely nothing. That has, that's not even deadly. Um, but yeah, they've got to put them back on because they won't listen to the science. And I guess the candy apple is not going to save anybody. It's child abuse. I mean, what they're doing is child abuse. I mean, they can try to justify it a million different ways. But if you're if a babysitter, Megan, took your child, made him or her sit outside in freezing temperatures with a cloth around their face, stifling their breath and telling them that this is where they had to eat their lunch, you'd call the police. That was the New York City public school system for quite some time because of libs, because of Democrats, because people, you know, taking photos of themselves, getting the vaccine while they're double masked, saying this is what the responsible people do. And everybody who has any questions about this is evil. Yeah, uh, there, there's a lot of people who will never accept that they were essentially wrong about everything that really mattered during this. And the Democrat mm-hmm. Party was wrong. Look, they used this to beat Donald Trump in the election. Mm-hmm. They used this whole narrative of Joe Biden's. They've never been able to explain how more people died of COVID under Biden than under Trump, while Biden had a vaccine for six months of the first year. And, and even they, even Fauci, Fauci was out there touting to the BBC how it was all Trump's fault, like Trump killed a lot of people. More people died under Joe Biden's watch than under Donald Trump's Fauci watch. And Joe, Joe Biden had vaccines America. and I mean, therapeutics. <laughs> Keep going. What'd you say? absolute worst he went to my high school by the way megan just you know he Anthony went to Fauci? Reg- he's a regis high school alum and he is the worst person on the planet i think <laughs> you can see him he's like he's missing his moment in the sun they let him out under that one sunday show and he was like i think under duress forced to say it's endemic it's going to be up to people to decide their own personal risk tolerance but masks are still a great idea and the vaccine is still amazing but i guess you have to choose how much you're willing to talk he clearly i was joking with my pals over at gb news that, that they or it was australia sky australia was saying uh, they had his puppy they clearly had like his new about his new puppy on the other side of the camera like you say it's endemic this is the democrats who know they're going to lose in the fall right like you say it's endemic you say it's a personal risk tolerance issue now or the puppy gets it that's the only way you got him to say anything reasonable yeah, he's he's the absolute worst. And he is somebody that the Democrats weaponized and used in every way possible. I mean, I think he sees those drones flying in the sky in Shanghai, telling people to suppress their heart's desire for freedom to not only go outside. People need to know you're not allowed to open your window in Shanghai. You can be on the 50th story of a building and you're Makes not allowed sense. to open your window for fresh air or else, you know, the covid police will come for you. I think Fauci sees that and goes, well, they take the virus seriously. They really <laughs> wish I had thought of that. Shoot. Yeah, he, he, he is the absolute worst. And, and I've had so many people because there were a lot there were conservative believers in Fauci early on. And they would reach out to me, even even friends of mine. They'd say, why? Why do you think this guy is such a fraud? Why do you? And you, all you really had to know was that the whole masks don't work. Actually, they do transition happened in about two weeks time. I'm talking about yeah. Fauci publicly saying yeah. it's a joke and then saying, oh, my God, we all need the mask. 
publicly uh, or rather happened rapidly in about two weeks time. There was no data or science to support that. It was that was the political imperative. Compliance. Shut up, peasant. Do what you're told. And the Democrats, of course, love that. Do what you're told. Shut up. No free speech. No First Amendment. Go for it. And flash forward to now. It was an emotional day. Buck Sexton, thank you as always. What a pleasure. Megan, thanks so much for having me. Check him out, guys. Check him out on the Buck and Clay show and check him out on his Buck Sexton podcast as well. Attention. If you owe the IRS, this is an important announcement. COVID relief is over and the IRS is ramping up like never before, sending out millions of collection letters to start 2024. Do you owe $10,000 or more or have unfiled returns? Now is the time to act. The IRS can garnish your wages, seize your property, and they can even take your home or your business. Don't let the IRS take advantage of you. It's time to call Tax Network USA. Their team of experienced tax lawyers has already saved over $1 billion in tax debt for their clients. They know how to negotiate with the IRS and can help you too. Visit TNUSA.com or call 1-800-245-6000. Again, that's 1-800-245-6000. Don't wait until it's too late. Take control of your tax situation today with Tax Network USA. 1-800-245-6000. Call now. You're cruising down the highway. Windows rolled down. Tunes blasting from the radio. You're in the zone and living the dream. Suddenly, your car sputters, coughs, and throws a wrench in your whole day. Tow trucks, repair bills, the dream turns into a nightmare. Don't wait until car trouble steals your peace of mind. Visit CarShield now at carshield.com carlson. For nearly 20 years, CarShield has helped millions of drivers avoid the stress of major repairs. They offer plans covering up to 5,000 parts and systems, from your engine and transmission to electronics and more all for a low monthly rate that fits your budget. CarShield plans also include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, and rental options. Get peace of mind now. Visit CarShield online at carshield.com carlson. Join millions of customers and contact CarShield now to save 20%. Visit carshield.com carlson. That's carshield.com carlson. Visit now. We are going to get into the left's new obsession with ghost guns. Maybe it's not so new, but it's renewed, uh, as well as President Biden's ATF nominee and much, much more with Dana Lash. She's host of the nationally syndicated The Dana Show. Dana, great to have you back. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me, Megan. Good to see you. Oh, you too. All right. So before we get to all the gun stuff, which you are truly the expert on, um, can we talk about Elon Musk and the meltdown that happened on Twitter yesterday? I mean, it was a... It was a hysterical meltdown by the left on Twitter at the thought that Elon Musk might actually succeed with this takeover bid, which he's predicting he probably won't succeed. And it doesn't sound like the board wants to accept the offer, even if it might be in the best interest of the shareholders. But just to give people a flavor of what we saw yesterday, there's a commentator named uh, Jeff Jarvis. Today on Twitter feels like the last evening in Berlin, in a Berlin nightclub at the twilight of Weimar, Germany. So right before Hitler. okay. so it's a Hitler-esque moment. Okay, Max Boot. I mean, he's lost his mind. He used to be a conservative. Now he sounds like uh, Joy Reid. I am frightened by the impact on society and politics if Elon Musk acquires Twitter. He seems to believe that, uh, let me see, on social media, anything goes. (gasps) Oh! 
For democracy to survive, we need more content moderation, not less. <laughs> Your thoughts on it, Dana? Well, I guess he's space Hitler now. I mean, that's kind of what I'm walking away with. All these people are saying he's space Hitler, and I guess he's yes. going to just imprison everybody on the moon. This is crazy. It, and really, <laughs> this is, I think, a, a huge digital battle that is is. I think going to be a touchstone that we're all going to look back on for some time to come because I read that Vanguard group is now involved. And then you have like some Saudi royalty that's getting involved in this because billionaires, if they don't agree with the left and confirm their narratives, they're a problem if they own these media companies. But I guess not if you're a Saudi king or not if you're BlackRock or Vanguard group or somebody else. I just really want to find out where the far left is, where their consistency is on this. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great thing. I mean, we have people advocating against a guy buying a company because they don't want free speech. I mean, I just, if you would make it, if you would have told me that this was going to be a debate 10 years ago, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have thought that this is okay. This is just hyperbole. Nobody's going to actually, no, we're, we're living it now. And the crazy thing is, is you don't have to be even on Twitter or use Twitter or even know what Twitter is because there's such a tiny percentage of, of people that are actually on and active on Twitter. It's very different in terms of digital consumption from Facebook and Instagram. I mean, really, ultimately, it's where the commentary goes to fight over narratives. It's where strategists are. It's where pundits are. Uh, everyone else uses that, uses it as like some kind of marketing tool. I'm just a brat on there. I really don't do anything of value other than be a brat. <laughs> I do nothing um, of value. But, but, but it's like, you don't, you don't even really have to be on it and, to be affected by it because it's going to establish a precedent for how people are going to be handling this years to come. And it's also going to redefine this argument that we've had back and forth for, I guess, the past, you know, really heavy for the past five to six years now. What, how do you define a, a town square, a free speech forum that is owned and administered by a private company? Uh, and what if that private company can act as an agent of the government? I mean, these are all questions that this is a brave new world. We've yet to define and figure out where those boundaries are. And I think Musk really made a good faith effort. I know Mark Cuban said that he was uh, just kind of screwing with the SEC. I really don't think so. I mean, I think he really, Musk, I think, kind of views himself as this sort of Howard Hughes, Tony Stark character, which is actually, I think, a pretty accurate characterization of who he is in culture. And he said he thinks he that Twitter has great potential and he wants to unlock it. And the only way that you can do it is take it private. I agree with him. I think that that's that's a great place for Twitter to go. But I can't believe, Megan, that it's such a threat by, you know, the people that you were citing here, Jeff Jarvis and and Max Boot. And there was another guy who I remember called the manager, called the police on some lady at Target over a toothbrush who was all upset and said, this is going to start World War Three and get <laughs> people killed if Musk does this, which is just crazy drama you know um, but it, we're fighting over free speech it's crazy so i actually do think if if twitter let's say twitter went out of business i actually think there's a there's a good chance cancel culture would die all cancellations start in twitter and i i don't know that it's it's a net force for good but let's assume it's not going away though it, it hasn't been doing as well as it it was a couple years ago um Let's assume Elon somehow manages to buy it. Although we had Peter Schiff on the program yesterday, you know, really smart guy when it comes to economics, saying he can't afford it. This isn't real. He doesn't have the money, um, even the richest man in the world. And he explained why. But anyway, um, if he if he were to buy it, I do think it would seriously impact our culture in a great way. You know, to have more opinions freely expressed, to have more of an exchange, more conservatives engaging on that forum without fear. And, you know, just the ability to push back on these libs who own it now. And they know if you push back too hard, you're going to get silenced by the corporate bosses. Um, 
to your point about the Saudis, this was one, this was a fascinating dynamic yesterday because there's the billionaire Saudi prince, Alawid bin Talal al Saud, who said, I'm going to vote to reject his offer. He's on the board of Twitter. He said, I'm going to vote to reject this offer. Um, he doesn't think that the proposed offer comes close to the intrinsic value of Twitter, even though it's way above what it had been valued uh, before, which yeah, is, I don't know. $10. Yeah, by a lot, <laughs> right? Somebody, the, one of the big firms valued it at 30 bucks a share, and he's he's offering 54 20 Right. Um, so, so Elon Musk responds, interesting. Just two questions, if I may. How much of Twitter does the kingdom own, directly and indirectly? And what are the kingdom's views on journalistic freedom of speech? Of course, these are the guys who killed Jamal Khashoggi, right? Washington Post mm-hmm. reporter. So could you spare us your your little lectures on what you think is the intrinsic value of this journalistic site or purportedly free speech site? Because we all know how you really feel about journalists and people related to the media world who want to express actual facts or their opinions that might not jive with your rulers. Yeah, that was a great point that Musk made yesterday. And, and I think, uh, what is it? He owns the this the Saudi prince owns, I think, like 5.2%. So he's a smaller shareholder. He can he can sit down. But that's a good point. So I guess, what, does the left like? Do they like the Saudis now? Right. Do they hate the Saudis? Can they we prefer get, this like, guy you know, to I don't Elon? Know, a daily briefing? Yeah, exactly right. And it's like, I, you would think they'd love Elon Musk because Tesla, you know, it's like, hey, well, they you know, did. They're going to start hating electric vehicles now, well, at least particularly <laughs> Tesla. And then now they're going to be then now they're going to get interested in all the pollution that. And I look, I'm not against green. I just don't like being lectured to by people who think that, you know, they're going to go to heaven over me because they got a green vehicle and that it's better for the environment. I mean, I, we've all seen the pictures of those kids in, in Congo hand mining for cobalt. And that, by the way, it's very interesting. That's one of the firms that Hunter Biden facilitated the sale of. Yes. To that Chinese communist Chinese company. So, I mean, it's very it's a very dirty Green is dirty. The whole green industry is very dirty. That's what nobody wants to talk about. So maybe the left will now, because of Elon Musk, start maybe wanting to talk about some of these truths. Uh, I don't know. But I mean, I, they now they hate him. And this guy's done more good and more advancement for some of these technological issues and things that, you know, we really needed to explore and get some grant, gain some ground in than I think almost anybody else. I mean, for crying out loud, we just had another privatized flight up to the up to the ISS. That's crazy because we were relying on Russians to hitch a ride up there for all of this time since Obama <laughs> Biden. Now we're able to actually like commandeer a, a, a vessel. I, I feel like I'm in Star Trek. Commandeer a vessel and get up to the <laughs> ISS on our own. That's a great thing. Being able to have, you know, diverse energy options. I'm all for whatever benefits the consumer. I'm a capitalist. I go where that leads. I, this is this is all great. And now they're going to hate him for it. But they're going to love the guys that they hated just like a year ago because of Jamal Khashoggi. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm all for electric vehicles, but I'm not going to be lectured to like you by the people who ride them to their private jets. OK. And they're too That's... quiet. Somebody put a bell on it. It's freaky. I don't like being snuck up on by a car. It's true. Like a it's true. Car. People are running over their pets. It's a thing. Um, OK, <laughs> so let's talk about ghost guns, which is, you know, it's crazy when you look at this, the crime statistics and how bad they are. And yet ghost guns, I guess, are the problem. Could you just in your Dana way, explain what a ghost gun is and then explain what Joe Biden is trying to do to them and with them? Yeah. So a ghost gun is, is a made up term, just like an, like the phrase assault weapon is made up. Ghost weapon is made up. Ultimately, this is what it is. People 
for since the beginning of time. There's two there's two truths about the founding of the country that we were founded because colonists had weapons of war and also colonists made their own guns at home. Everybody made their own guns at home. I mean, this is how rifling came into effect. This is one of the things that gave us an advantage in terms of firepower over the British during the War of Independence. So we we had the the Pelton gun, the buckle gun. Uh, we had the what is it, the Kentucky rifle, which was the rifle. All of this, all of these advancements, because people like to create stuff at home. And also to uh, 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 Biden's point, uh, we you could always purchase a cannon. I mean, I could go out and get a cannon right now if I wanted to. It'd look cool <laughs> in my yard. Sure. Uh, but but the ghost gun is is a term for what hobbyists have been doing at home for ages. Now, it's already federal law. You can't sell a firearm that you make at home unless you serialize it. And so this targeting on what they call buy-build kits, uh, basically you can get, it's like, it's like a Mr. Potato Head. This is honestly the best way that I could go. It's like mm-hmm. Mr. Potato Head. You get it and then you kind of put it together. And you, But you have to have a little bit of expertise, right? You got to know where the pieces go. And in the case of these, these firearms and these kits, you get a chunk of uh, a kind of aluminum. Uh, sometimes it's polymer. Usually it's unfinished aluminum so that people don't have the cut marks and they just paint it all out and finish it after. Uh, but you got to mill that out, right? You got to mill cavities for the other pieces to go in this chunk of aluminum. Basically, you're getting a paperweight and some nuts and bolts. And so what the AT under Biden is doing now, they're trying to argue that basically this, not basically, they're saying this chunk of aluminum is the same thing as a firearm. They d- defined what a firearm was in the, in the uh, 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 1968 uh, in, in one of the laws that they had passed, Gun Control Act, and, and they were defining what a firearm was. It's like a really long thing. The page that they came out with, uh, the report that they came out with, the rule, uh, I was trying to remember, I think it's 306 or 308 pages to def- how they were trying to argue their case that this chunk of aluminum is actually a firearm. It's a horrible argument that they're making, but ultimately that's what it is. And they're saying that because these hobbyists are making firearms at home and keeping them for their own personal use, and this is already federal law, you, ha- you they don't have to serialize that particular chunk of aluminum. But if I were to make a gun at home, Megan, and if I were to sell it to you, I would have to serialize it. If I were to sell it to a family member in my own state of residence, I would still have to serialize it. I mean, this has all been established law for ages. And so Biden's saying now that, well, the increase in crime isn't due to us demanding to defund the police. It's not due to the de- restorative justice and all of these horrific Soros-backed DAs in places like California or St. Louis with Kim Gardner or in D.C. or in New York where they had that bail reform that they had to walk back after all of these repeat offenders went out and committed over 400 brand new crimes after they got a wrist slap and barely had to serve any time for serious violent felonies. It's not due to anything like that. And it's not even due to the fact that we're increasing people's desperation by running the economy into a hole in the ground. It's because, Megan, of hobbyists, people who are just in their spare time building their firearms at home. Because, you know, Megan, gangsters and drug dealers are going out and purchasing drilling presses and routers and all (laughs) kinds of machinery. And they're spending that time milling this all out with the expertise that they have. One quick point on this, one last point. ATF said in March of this year, from 2016 to 2021, there were over 89,000 murders firearms illegally used, illegally possessed, used in homicides. And they were saying that of that, 325 were attributable to ghost guns. Problem with that number is that sawed off shotguns and firearms recovered at crime scenes with the serial number filed off, that all goes into that category too. So we actually don't even know. That's less than one third of one uh, of, of a percent. So the ATF can't even substantiate uh, when they were asked by uh, 2A groups about their show their work, they refused to do it. So all of this, this is what they're using along with Joe Biden to further restrict firearm rights.
my gosh, you're 89,000 uh, gun related murders. Is that what you're saying? Between 2016 yeah, and 2021? And the number of committed by these so called ghost guns, and they've w- defined it so widely it includes more than the actual thing, is 323? Yeah, 325. And that's a combination of you, uh, most of the statistics come from FBI Uniform Crime Reports. Statistia has a, a good joke. report state by state, too. This is a joke. This is a joke. So, I mean, and he knows it's a joke. I mean, listen, I'm sure he'd love to to ban, quote, assault rifles, which is a total impossibility. We've got like 400 million of them in the, in the United States. Yeah, You're not going to be banning and, and them. And on that, he, he never even banned the gun. On that, Megan, they just banned three or more accessories that you could affix to the gun. Again, I go back to Mr. Potato Head. He didn't ban Mr. Potato Head. You can't put lips and ears and eyes on the Mr. <laughs> Potato Head at the same time. You got to choose. Do you want eyes and lips? Do you want ears and eyes? What do you want? You got you got you can only pick a couple of them That's but you can't did. ban the potato oh. that it's just not going to happen in modern day america the people don't favor it they don't want it and he knows that but the left wants him to quote do something so this is him trying to look right. like he's doing something um you yeah. won't be surprised that the ladies of the view do not see it the same way you do my my pal here's um constitutional scholar Joy Behar. Okay. Oh, there's a couple of view shots we're going to play. This is my favorite though. This is Joy Behar trying to explain to us the way the Supreme Court works and um, how it's about to handle the issue of guns. Soundbite uh, three. Supreme Court is is poised to pass a bill contradicting the New York City state laws. We have very strict gun laws here, and they would like it to be, apparently somebody has put this on their desk, that New York should be an open carry state and an open carry city. With all of the density in this city, they want people running around with guns. People, middle class people will be leaving in droves if that happens. Everything she just said was wrong. Yeah, everything. she's not even that's not even what the case is about. And it wasn't well, for, before we get to that, the Supreme Court doesn't pass bills. They don't pass bills. Yeah. That's what we call the legislature. That's the Congress, Joy. Try to pay attention. You just spelled right out there in the Constitution for you got the Article one, <laughs> Article two, Article three. So the Supreme Court just adjudicates the constitutionality of laws that are that have already been passed. And that's what it's doing with respect to not open carry concealed carry in New York. You take it from there. Yeah, it's New York Rifle and Pistol Association. They brought that case up to up to the court. And you're right. It's about concealed carry. It's not about open carry. I just think that if she's going to try to influence public opinion on these issues, she needs needs to know just like the very basics of the case that she's talking about. And maybe just, you know, basic imagination of government, how government decides to pass a law. I mean, I watched Schoolhouse Rock when I was a kid. Uh, I'm sure you did, too, Megan. We all know how bills were passed. I mean, I watched. They didn't mention the Supreme Court. Yeah, walk me through the process. There was no Supreme Court in there. I didn't see a bunch of rogue people in there walking that bill up. So that's, I mean, this is like (laughs) government 101. These people are bad citizens. She's a bad citizen. You have a responsibility as a free person to understand how your government works. And if you don't, you are falling short of the ideal well, that our founders envisioned for our citizenry. Here's a, here's a question for you. What about her assertion that the middle class New Yorkers are going to leave the city in droves if concealed carry? Because right now it's very hard to get concealed carry permit in, in Manhattan. Yeah. You have to get trained. You have to um, prove that there's a threat. You basically have to be a famous person. I mean, that's kind of it. Or you have to have an active restraining order against somebody. But you can't just get one if you're just anybody. And if you can't get concealed carry, you, you, what that means is you can't get a gun and New York City. So she's saying if they allow concealed carry on a, on a more widespread basis without making everybody jump through all these hoops, all the middle class are going to flee. But you tell me, I mean, there are how many states in the union have concealed carry laws already? 
And a, a, a ton of them, in fact, and, and uh, in terms of permitless carry, Georgia just became the 25th state just this past week. Brian Kemp to sign that into law. Uh, everyone always says it's going to be like the Wild West and there's going to be violence in the streets. There's nothing that ever supports that. In fact, actually, you could argue that there's a you could beg the question, actually, that crime does, in fact, go down when these laws pass. I actually, the thing that surprises me, I didn't realize there was a middle class left in New York anymore. I thought that the high crime and the feces and needles and people getting shoved into subway tracks and everything else kind of drove everybody out of New York. I think maybe more people would stay in if they had the ability to protect themselves. I mean, you have the New York Safe Act. What is it? You can't have a magazine that holds more than 10 rounds uh, and you can't have more than seven rounds. It's just, it's weird. The laws that they have, particularly New York Safe Act, is absolutely bizarre and it does not nothing to contribute towards any kind of decrease in crime. In fact, the restorative justice that's running rampant through that system up there, that makes that makes sure of that. Yeah. Restorative justice is quite the oxymoron. Here's a couple of stats for you on uh, crime. 80 percent rise in deadly shootings in large cities this year. 80 percent year over year. And the response by the liberals, including Joe Biden, is get the guns. Get the guns. OK, that's what that's the problem. If we could just get the guns, we wouldn't have these stats. I'm going to get to that in one second. New York City, uh, nearly 60 percent spike in February alone uh, in major crimes compared to this month just last year. And if you want to go back to 2019, right before the pandemic is even worse. And that's one of the lies they told us is that the pandemic was really what led to all this crime. You know, people were home and they were. That's not it. It keeps rising. It's soft on crime policies. It's defund the police. Right. It's soft on crime DAs. It's no bail. Uh, we're not taking the ser- the criminals seriously. Philadelphia, um, so far, 100 homicides in 2022. They had 562 in 2021, breaking the previous record of 500. They're on path to break it again. Chicago uh, city reached at least 800 homicides in 2021, a level not seen in 25 years on track for another record year. Los Angeles, 54 percent increase in murders since just 2019 and on and on it goes. And the libs say Get the guns. And here's case in chief, uh, an example of the view. We have this cut of them talking about how if we could just get rid of the guns, we wouldn't have these problems like our friends overseas. Listen, would you agree and concede that no one needs uh, an AR-15 or an assault style yeah. weapon across are, the board? Because well, hunters, not if hunting. you're a good hunter, I don't think you need to right. use that to so, shoot a deer. So, yes, though, I think it's often misrepresented what is consent, what like an AR-15. Yes. Stand by. There's a second one that I want to play. You look at the UK, there's almost no gun violence. You look at New Zealand, you look at Australia. When yeah. you take away guns, you take away gun violence. Yes. Right. Well, I agree with that, but well, a lot of people don't. True. Thoughts on that? That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. And we're all stupider for having heard it. Um, just a quote from <laughs> Billy Madison. I just, this, this is insane. First off, the deer thing with Sonny Hostin, uh, when she's talking about you can't take your AR-15. In fact, there's some states, this, it actually used to be law, and then some states have revised it. They didn't even want you going out and shooting uh, anything over a critter with a 223 because it was considered a small, a small caliber. What gets me is that none of these women, none of this brain trust would be able to explain to me why my 223 isn't okay, but my 308 is. Not a single one Wait, of them. Ex- they I would can't not explain be able that to, either. What is it? What is they the difference? Di- what's the difference? They, well, what 308 are those? a lot bigger. 308 okay. a lot bigger. That's like, you know, you're, you're larger, I don't want to say varmint, but, you know, deer rifle <laughs> or, you know, what people would use for larger game per se. But, you know, AR-15, it's good for hog hunting. It's good for a number of things. It's the most popularly owned rifle. And the most important point in this whole discussion, it is the rifle that is responsible for the fewest amount of, of homicides 
annually FBI UCRs from the beginning that it was recorded all the way up until current time. It is just a speck compared to handguns that are obtained on the black market by criminals who are always going to be able to buy handguns. To the second point, the video that you played uh, after the, the second one you played, there is this belief, I think, this progressive mindset that a firearm, even though it is an inanimate object, is apparently a spiritual relic that can pass on to the person who possesses it, Megan, the ability to be or it influences them to be good or evil. So a good person is fine. You hand them a firearm and suddenly that spiritual relic influences them to be evil. It's not them, Megan. It's not their mm. own free will choices. It is the firearm. So thus the logic dictates if we remove the firearm, then we remove all evil in the world and there will never be any more murders or crimes or anything else. That's toddler logic. That's not anything that makes sense in a grown-up world. And we know that that's not the case because you still see mass casualty incidents in all of these other countries that they mention. To say nothing of the violent crime rate over there, rape, terrorism, and also just basic freedom. Popularity and what a, a European country does has no bearing upon the rights that we have as United States citizens. And if any of, you know, these ladies on The View have a problem with that, they are free to purchase for themselves a one-way ticket and go over there and then they can see what it's like to not have as much freedom to defend themselves as you have here. So the whole the whole point of that, and one other quick thing about Sunny Hostin, and I made this point online, nobody's worried about a, a deer busting up to their house in the middle of the night. They're worried about home invasions and on average, it's actually more than one person. That's what nobody really talks about. And the most uncomfortable talking point that the left does not like about the Second Amendment, it's not even about any of those things. It's about curbing tyranny. It's about curbing an out-of-control government, curbing their power and authority. That is an uncomfortable truth, the basis of the Second Amendment that the left doesn't want to acknowledge, so they always use this dumb talking point about deer. Mm -hmm. Well, Joe Biden was making a similar point, and he he told this weird story. I got to tell you, I have, got, I have questions about whether this is true. It To me, it feels made up. I'm going to play it, though, but it's, it's about his alleged encounter on like a Delaware Creek with a with an alleged hunter. And, you know, Joe Biden playing the tough guy. Here it is. Listen to soundbite uh, four. I was down in southern Delaware, do a lot of hunting and fishing down there. And I was w walking up one of the creek beds. And the guy standing there said, you want to take my gun? I said, I don't take your gun. So you're telling me I can't have more than the next number of bullets in, a, in, 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 a, in my gun. And I said, what do you think the deer you're hunting or wear Kevlar vest? What the hell do you need 20 bullets for? You must be a hell of a terrible shot. I'm serious. Think about it. Okay, I'm just gonna go out there and say that didn't happen. That did, like yeah, I don't what, think it so, happened. Well, he was walking down the creek with the Secret Service, and some rando just came up to him and was like, "Yo, you want to take my gun?" I, no, I call BS. Oh, by the way, I, I can say too. bullshit now because Lent ended yesterday. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't. What do you mean? My team said Lent ended yesterday. I'm like, doesn't it go all the way through Easter? And then I'm such a bad Catholic, Dana. It does. Oh, I was right. Oh, never mind. I take it back. God forgive me. <laughs> do over, do over. We'll just rewind time. Pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> so bad. Such a bad it's Catholic. It's all right. It's all right. Yet another thing to confess, Dana. Okay. Anyway. So yeah, I don't think that happened. But yeah, so you're a bad shot if you can't shoot your deer in less than 20 shots. You brought up a really good point about Secret Service and advancing that area. There's no way that you're going to have, you know, mm -mm. some, you know, hunter out there just when you have 
Joe Biden with all the Secret Service going out there into the woods. Didn't Nobody happen. believes this happened. Just like I don't believe the whole thing about the trucker named Mama. And I also don't believe the no. story about his Freddy Krueger pool where there was a basement in the pool's gym and he went down there and some Freddy Krueger guy cut him a chain to go beat some weird gangster named after a cereal in the parking lot. What? Nobody believes that either. So these are these are all stories that he just makes up. And again, we're not worried about deer coming into our house. We're worried about, I don't know, people like in Shanghai dragging us out in the streets, putting our pets in bags and beating them to death on camera. Yeah. That's actually yes. happening in Shanghai. We're that worried is. about what we saw in Australia. So that's why, that's why we have them. And also one final point, this is the same confused elderly man who told everybody to go out on a balcony and just fire their shotgun up in the air. If you think you hear something in the woods, <laughs> I didn't know everybody had balconies. And also you, that's illegal. So he's telling everyone to go out and commit a crime. And then yesterday he shook hands with the air. So I don't know. God bless uh, he, he did. Wait, but we've talked about before too, how, okay. Th so they're very clear on reporting the number of deaths caused by the use of a, of a gun, but they don't, they're, they're nowhere near as good as reporting the number of uh, deaths prevented by use of a gun and all the good guys who have used guns in America to prevent violent crime from happening. And you look at things like what we saw in the New York City subway the other day with this guy. It's a miracle no one was killed, but he he shot 33 times. He actually hit 10 people. And if there had been a more lax gun laws in New York, uh, maybe somebody would have had a gun on that subway train and taken this guy out and saved a lot of people, a lot of heartache and life endangering injuries. Yeah, that's a good point, too, because, I mean, apparently the guy was acting, you know, really circumspect right when he walks in. At, he's looking around and he's got, you know, his weird backpack and everything else. I mean, I think if someone had been there, a good person who had been trained and, and who could, you know, go, rely upon their skill set. Um, I, I mean, definitely, I absolutely think that that something like that could have been prevented. And the num the, the number that gets thrown around a lot, um, and they call it defensive gun uses, which is how they categorize it, how uh, the feds categorize it. And it's anywhere between, you know, 500,000 to maybe 2 million. Sometimes people are more generous and they say two and a half million cases annually of a firearm that is used either in defense of a life. One of the reasons why there's such a, a, a wide number and a number of people have looked into this is because every different Every different state and locality has a different way of reporting or counting whether it's considered a DGU. So sometimes if you're presenting, that's counted. Sometimes it's not counted unless you're actually squeezing the trigger uh, off at uh, a criminal who's trying to who's endangering your life. Uh, but we do know, though, that the number that is recorded of defensive gun usages does outweigh that of criminally used firearms. And I just think that 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 has a place in this debate. If we're going to talk about restricting people based on what criminals do, why can't we talk about empowering people based on what the law abiding do lawfully mm. with their lawfully owned property? Uh, that's never included in this entire debate and it's never acknowledged by the administration, which is incredibly disingenuous. And it's why I just, you know, you just can't even get involved in the debate in the first place if we're not going to consider all the evidence. Mm, that's such a good point. And I hate that they don't point that out. Even on The View, they, they put on some, you know, nominal conservative that agrees with all the points made, right? Like gives up the farm on all the gun debate, doesn't raise any of these these points because they don't want these points raised. But I'll t I'll ask you this. This is this. I mean, this is for the audience. God forbid you were on the New York City subway and a crazy shooter came on, starts dropping smoke grenades and shooting people. Would you want a Joy Behar on your train or would you want an armed Dana Lash sitting there? Truly, I'd want like, me. I, I'd yeah, want I don't you... trust my security to anybody. 
10 Me? out of 10. I, I wouldn't want, what is she going to do? Scream about her truth to them? Is she going to be like, <laughs> didn't you see the gun-free zone signs? I mean, this what is, is all like, the fault of gonna... the Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it still has to be decided by Supreme Court. Didn't you say? I would definitely rather rely on myself. I've gone, we've gone through so many, my husband and I have gone through so many hours of training where we've uh, blown doors off of, you know, houses. I mean, not like actual houses that someone lives in. Like, you know, it's like <laughs> a practice house that you run drills for. Felony. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, 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 I'm just we just blew the door off our front door, our front door off, Megan. But we've gone through um, active shooter drills, whether it's in something like a school, a house, a public area. I've done force on force training, have done night training. So because everyone always says that, oh well, you'll you're gonna rise to the rise to the challenge. That never happens. It's not like a movie. What happens is you fall back to your highest level of skills. You fall back to your highest level of training, and you have to train frequently because you get rusty. Uh, what is it? I, I, I did ballet. For a long time, and my instructor would always say, uh, if somebody misses, you know, if you miss a day, only the dancer can tell. If you miss a week, the instructor can tell, and if you miss more than that, the audience can tell. It's kind of the same way with firearms mm -hmm. training. Uh, you you have to keep at it. Uh, you have to keep your skills sharp. And I want someone like that, whether it's myself or someone else, in uh, in this uh, a horrific situation. I want someone who is humble enough to realize that they have to practice because they're not a superhuman. I want someone who's humble enough to realize that they have to fall back to their highest level of training and someone who is aware and responsible and who is also calm in a situation. You have gotta be the calmest person in the room to figure your way out of something like that because you have a lot of things to consider. You have other people there, you're in a train car, you're underground, where are your exits? I mean, these are all things because when you're, you know, your fight or flight kicks in, Everything yeah. slows down like the matrix and you're identifying all this stuff and you've got to figure out how you're going to act. And that's when your skills come in. So I want someone like that, not a Joy Behar, who advocates against all of those things. I want someone like that in the trench with me. And you know what? She would be so grateful to have you there, notwithstanding what she says. <laughs> she probably wouldn't. <laughs> millions on that so set. Right. It's okay, all right. All right. Lynn's almost over, Megan. You don't have to be nice on that. I know. I know. <laughs> How sad is it that I was misled by my team and I believed it that it was over and I started swearing? Oh, yeah. That's Abby's fault. Debbie, Canadian Debbie. She's Canadian. She doesn't know. All right. More with Dana Lash coming up. Don't go away because there's an update on Greg Abbott of Texas sending all those migrants um, up to Washington, D.C., what the White House said about it publicly, and then what they ran and did behind the scenes. You're cruising down the highway, windows rolled down, tunes blasting from the radio. You're in the zone and living the dream. Suddenly, your car sputters, coughs, and throws a wrench in your whole day. Tow trucks, repair bills, the dream turns into a nightmare. Don't wait until car trouble steals your peace of mind. Visit CarShield now at carshield.com Carlson. For nearly 20 years, CarShield has helped millions of drivers avoid the stress of major repairs. They offer plans covering up to 5,000 parts and systems, from your engine and transmission to electronics and more all for a low monthly rate that fits your budget. CarShield plans also include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, and rental options. Get peace of mind now. Visit CarShield online at carshield.com carlson. Join millions of customers and contact CarShield now to save 20%. Visit carshield.com carlson. That's carshield.com carlson. Visit now. Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, kind of sick about the uh, Biden border policies, decided to put some of these migrants that Joe Biden's letting out and welcoming in and then letting out and then, you know, 
bringing to places like New York in the middle of the night in, in large part. But for the most part, they're staying in Texas. And he decided to put them on buses and ship them to Washington, D.C., which is just, I think, quite brilliant. So Jen Psaki was asked about that. And here's here's how she claimed to feel about Greg Abbott's move. This is SOT 11. The first bus of migrants arrived in D.C. today. Uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott making good on his promise to send migrants to the president's doorstep. Uh, I think you previously called it a publicity stunt. Is that still the view of the White House? Can you give us any reaction to this busload of migrants arriving here in D.C.? Well, these are all migrants who have been processed by CBP and are free to travel. So. It's nice the state of Texas is helping them get to their final destination as they await in their their outcome of their immigration proceedings. And they're all in immigration proceedings. It's nice. It's nice. She likes it. She, she appreciates him giving them a ride, which, of course, is not true, because according to the Washington Examiner, the Border Patrol has now stopped releasing migrants um, to, in particular, the town that called in uh, Governor Abbott buses to D.C. So, in other words, the, the town that sent the migrants to D.C. Uh, was receiving way too many. They only have 16,000 people and they've been dumping a thousand migrants per week in this little town. And that town is now reporting no sooner did uh, this the news break that they were shipping them to D.C. Then suddenly they stopped releasing them into that town. So she doesn't think it's nice. The, the bottom line is it's working to push back. She doesn't want them coming to D.C. She wants Governor Abbott and all the Texans to have to deal with this crisis. And she and her beautiful town in northern Virginia isn't going to have to see one person who they've let cross that border illegally. Yeah, well, that's a great point, Megan. And and with Saki, she doesn't have to bear the financial burden as a resident of Virginia for this either. I mean, I think it's I think what I think uh, somewhere around a uh, billion dollars, something I think is actually probably over that what a Texans actually have to spend to not only for the detention facilities, but also for Border Patrol and for any kind of uh, Medicare services, educational services. Actually, it's way over a billion dollars. I forget the actual number, but it's a lot of money. And I asked A.G. Ken Paxton the other day, I'm like, do we get like a credit on our taxes, our theft from the government? You know, every year, I mean, we're all paying our fair share. Do we get a credit as Texans because of all of the money that we're having to spend for this federal not really immigrate. It's a it's an immigration program by way of not enforcing immigration law. I know that there are a number of lawsuits about this, but what gets me making about this is that there are Supreme Court cases. Prince v. U.S. comes to mind when it concerns the commandeering clause and federal programs and the government that cannot direct states to spend their physical or financial resources on these federal programs. Yet that's what ha- that's what's happening in all of these border states. You know, back in I, I the Obama Biden years, Jan Brewer tried doing this. She was trying to send people back over the border when she was governor of Arizona. And that's when the Obama DOJ went after her. And then that was a Supreme Court case, Arizona versus the United States, where governor's hands were effectively tied and they couldn't do a single thing about the crime. They couldn't deport. They couldn't detain for, you know, any kind of period after what the federal government had dictated. So you have all of these people like Jen Psaki, who's never been to the border. She's never been to Del Rio. She's never been down there to the to the RGV sector in McAllen, Texas. She's never seen what these Border Patrol agents have to deal with. She hasn't seen the amount of ground that these Border Patrol agents, who, by the way, are predominantly Hispanic, and I know that's important to the left because they like to act like they're a bunch of white supremacists down there at the border, when actually these are Hispanics who really 
realize how detrimental they're Americans. They don't want this stuff happening either. The United States is the only country not afforded uh, the respect and 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 grace to be able to determine who comes into our country and who doesn't. These border agents have miles and miles and miles, hundreds of miles of ground to cover. They can't get border agents to replace the ones that leave because it's a very stressful job. Nobody wants the job. You're under it's under you're underappreciated. You're smeared in the press. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. You have human trafficking, which is now rivaling the drug trade in terms of making money for these these coyotes. I've been down there at the border. I've seen this. Megan, I have to tell you, one of the saddest stories I've ever heard, and I saw photos of this. I was sitting at a table uh, with a, having lunch with one of the Border Patrol chiefs, and this was down in the RGV area. And he was telling us the story. What usually happens is you'll have a group of people illegally crossing, and then while they're, they, they'll turn themselves into the Border Patrol, and while they're distracting Border Patrol, it's usually when you have like a, an illicit drug uh, shipment, so to speak, that crosses the Rio, whether it's fentanyl or something else. So they'll try to distract Border Patrol and and concentrate Border Patrol response with a bunch of like kids or, you know, a large group of people. And um, they were telling me how many times that happens a month. And they also told me the story of one time and a Border Patrol agent, just by the grace of God, happened to see this, uh, saw a, a shiny reflective, something shining reflective in the tall grass by the Rio, because not every area you can just like walk across where we were. It's a steep embankment. There's tons of brush. You can actually really, you know, hide from, you know, if there's any kind of air surveillance, uh, which, you know, drones and all of that. It was a wheelchair uh, and it was a paraplegic a child that had been tossed onto the riverbank. I saw the photos of this. This oh child God. had been tossed onto the riverbank. His wheelchair had been tossed over. I don't. They don't know how long he was laying out. And this was in mm-hmm. August, three and by on, on the the banks of the Rio Grande, uh, down there in RGV. Super hot, super humid. Mosquitoes, everything else, mm-hmm. awful. This is the type of stuff that we're dealing with. This is the type of stuff that federal inaction creates. They claim that they care about people, but they're completely fine with essentially working in partnership with these drug cartels and making them rich, enriching coyotes and and advertising that people can come here and you're all taken care of. That's not the that's not the case. This it's chaos at the border and it's chaos for these families who get this false advertising from an administration that only pretends to care about them during election periods. Oh, that's awful. That's right. And they, they want us to think that their policy is the humane one. And it's about to get a whole lot worse because they're going to lift that Title 42. They're going to the, the Trump era rule that said we don't have to entertain anybody's asylum claims while we're dealing with covid. Um, and so that's the end of May that that's going to happen. And it's going to go from bad to worse down there. One final note on the the alleged it's nice. It's nice that they're doing that. Another lie. Um, but the the re- another reason we know is that the uh, mayor of this town of, uh, forgive me, I don't know how to pronounce it, Uvalde, U-V-A-L-D-E, Texas, mm. um, where they were releasing all these migrants. He said uh, to the Washington Examiner that Mayorkas, our DHS chief, told the Border Patrol agents there, quote, to highly encourage these people not to get on any buses going to Washington, D.C. <laughs> so they stopped dumping them in the town of Uvalde. And then he said to the migrants or to the Border Patrol agents to tell the migrants, do not get on a bus going to Washington, D.C. Don't get on one going to Delaware either. Probably they added you stay in beautiful yeah. Texas. That's the place you want to be in August. Um, and then what this guy said, this uh, McLaughlin, again, this is his name is Don McLaughlin, mayor of this town. He said, I think, quoting now from the Washington Examiner piece, state of 413, I think the government is trying to keep the governor's bus program quiet because if they come up there, they get out on the steps of the Capitol, 
the whole world will see what we're seeing in South Texas and along the southwest border every day. And that is not all about family units and young children, which is a tragedy, no question. But all of a sudden, what you're going to see is these young adult age males and females getting off buses, not families with kids. You will see what we see. I don't think they want that narrative seen. I bet he's right. Yeah, I think he is absolutely right. Yeah, and that Flores Amendment that they had that was encouraging people to just bring whatever kids over if they could find so they could, a rent-a-kid program, essentially, yep. where you could bring kids over and your their family unit was then justified to stay. These are, let's be real, these are not people like what you see in Ukraine and refugees going into Poland. This is not the same thing. A lot of this is people that are looking for work. And granted, there are a lot of Central American countries that have very corrupt forms of government, but it's not like what we're seeing with Ukrainian refugees going into Poland and where we can't stay in our country and file for asylum because that's how the asylum process works. You don't have to just go into the country and illegally cross to file. Uh, but yeah, you're seeing a lot of people who they're coming because they, they, they want jobs. They want to, they want to work and they want to, they, I mean, we have a process. You need to come in so we know exactly who's coming in, go through the legal process. What gets me about this, too, Megan, in in terms of dissuading people to get get on buses to go to Washington, D.C., I haven't seen any of the people who were traveling down to some of these detention facilities like a couple of years ago when they would take their field trips, their congressional Mm -hmm. field trips to go and do their Their poverty chic immigration tour down here. Uh, AOC standing by the fence and crying in her all white outfit, you know, good grief. They're they're in D.C. They could have a welcome wagon as they get off the bus blocks away from the Capitol. They could be welcoming people, not doing anything, not doing anything like that. So my idea is this. I was talking to Ken Paxton. Uh, granted, I was trying not to trip up the attorney general of Texas and try to get him into committing a crime with me. But I do <laughs> think that maybe, you know, who can play that game? Republicans should go down to the border and just start registering people to vote as Republican right when they're coming across. Yes, That's welcome. That's the way to end this. <laughs> That's a very good point. Um, last but not least, the the new ATF would-be chief. Um, the <laughs> NRA didn't like the last guy and Biden had to pull him because he even had Democrats saying, mm, he's too way, way too anti-gun. It's not going to happen. Cake. But he now he's got a new guy. Fruit <laughs> he's got a new guy. What do you think about the new guy? Do you think he's going to get through? Do you think the more moderate Dems like Manchin and so on are going to get behind this guy? He's just, he's, he's just dopey and boring enough that he might get more Democrat support than Mark Chipman did. For people who didn't know, Mark Chipman literally came from the Bloomberg, uh, Giffords, you know, every town. He was like, he had been a former ATF agent and then he went in to become a gun control advocate and he was making up all these stories about Waco and he, all this other stuff. And he made fun of people who believe in firearms for sale. He was just a nut job. Uh, so he was such an embarrassment. They had to pull him. So now you have this Steve Dettelsbach, who was a U.S. attorney in Ohio, uh, I believe AG, or was running for AG. And mm-hmm. he's a big red flag supporter. He's a big supporter of universal background checks. But yet he can't articulate clearly how having universal background checks doesn't create a federal firearms registry where everybody in the government, you know, making those trustworthy people who handled all the FISA stuff in 2016 with Trump and with Carter Page, you know, all those folks, all those folks would get to know exactly how many firearms you have if we have universal background checks because you have, you can't do it without a federal firearms registry. So Mm -hmm. he supports all of that stuff. Uh, I think just on that basis alone, that support is a violation of the Firearm Owners Protection Act, which was passed in the 80s to protect 
protect average everyday folks like us from having, you know, federal firearms registering the government knowing all of this stuff because he doesn't support what is established law. I can't support him. Uh, no, they, they haven't had they, an acting. They director think he's going to get ATF. through, but he. This is the same guy who he lost that election for AG, and uh, mm-hmm. he claimed it was Tamir rigged. Rice's mom played a role cl- in that, apparently. But he claimed it was rigged. I thought you weren't allowed to do that. You can the Democrats reject politicians, don't they? Unless their name's Stacey Abrams or Hillary Clinton yeah. or Joe Biden or uh, anyway, uh, maybe well, he yeah. falls within that line because supposedly, if you say it's rigged, you can no longer run for office ever again because you're well. Vegan Democrats, the if they don't win elections, they're always rigged because. You know, Democrats should be elected. And if they are not elected, it's because the election is rigged and it was stolen (laughs) from them. That's in every case throughout history. He's just a white male Stacey Abrams up there in Ohio. That's who he is. No, the ATF, one quick note, they haven't had an acting director in years. So I I don't think we need one now. Yeah, exactly right. Maybe this is a chance to save the federal taxpayer some money. Dana Lash, always a pleasure. So good to talk to you. Good to talk with you, Megan. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Okay, up next, believe it or not, my team put together a compilation of just how bad I failed at giving up swearing for Lent, which may or may not be over. (laughs) Don't go away. Do you owe back taxes? Pandemic relief is now over. Along with hiring thousands of new agents and field officers, the IRS has kicked off 2024 by sending over 5 million pay-up letters to those who have unfiled tax returns or balances owed. Oh, joy. Don't waive your rights and speak with them on your own. Tax Network USA, a trusted tax relief firm, has saved over $1 billion in back taxes for their clients, and they can help you secure the best deal possible. Whether you owe $10,000 or $10 million, they can help you. Whether it's business or personal taxes, even if you have the means to pay or you're on a fixed income, they can help finally resolve your tax burdens once and for all. Call 1-800-245-6000 for a private, free consultation or visit TNUSA.com slash Megan. I hope you all have a wonderful Easter weekend. As many of you know, I gave up swearing this year for Lent, which may or may not be over. Apparently, there's a debate even within the Catholic community about when it ends. Is it on Holy Thursday? Is it on Easter Sunday? In any event, I shouldn't be swearing today. My attempt to give up swearing for Lent, well, it didn't go so well, as listeners to this show know. In fact, it went so poorly that my team started keeping track and has apparently made a compilation of my many missteps for us to have a good laugh or a good cry. Let's watch. It said, you want to talk about that piece of, and I can't say the word because I'm not swearing for Lent, doing very poorly, but trying. In his word, they're scary MFers. Again, try not to swear. It's Lent. They were like, this is bullshit. There's Once again, I can't ring in my dirty mouth. I gave up swearing for Lent, Paul. Those who know anything about me know that I can take an enormous shitstorm in my life without panicking. Once again, I swore. Still Lent. Lord, forgive me. He must have been sitting there learning all the lessons going, oh, shit. Going, oh, I swore again. I mean, dang, dang. It's so hard. Sorry. I only have two more. What is it? Two more weeks of Lent. I asked somebody if you can sub in a new something to give up in the middle of Lent. And the answer was no. So I just got I got to see it through to the end, ladies. And I was like, 
Fuck these guys. Sorry, I'm in Lent and I'm trying not to swear, but I'm really doing poorly at it. He'll hit some agreement with the Academy that has real teeth in it with money for some cause we can, not some bullshit woke cause that half of us hate. I cannot stop swearing. I've got to find something else to give up for Lent. What's what's going on with that? I don't, I can't, I don't mind swearing, but I I gave it up for Lent. You would never know, given the way I talk on this program. (laughs) That's what you gave up for Lent? I gave up drinking booze. I haven't had a drink in 30 days. We have the explicit rating on our show, so you're allowed to swear. But I'm not going to be joining you because I took a bow, my Lenten bow, to give up swearing for Lent, and I have done the worst fucking job at it. Uh, What? (laughs) (laughs) I tried, but hey, I tried. Lord, forgive me is right, and he is a forgiving God, so I should be okay. So now the big question is really, should I try it again next year or or like to redeem myself or should I just find something new? (laughs) Maybe I'll go Arthur's route and try the alcohol. Um, I would love for you to weigh in. Tell me in the Apple reviews. I read them all. I read them every day. So go ahead there. Drop one. And coming up next week, I am excited about Monday's show. The man who led the U.S. hockey team in one of the most iconic moments in American history. Oh, who could forget the miracle on ice? The captain of that team, Micah Ruzioni, is here to talk about the enduring legacy of that moment, whether something like that could ever happen again in a country that feels so divided right now. And what does he think about what's happening with Russia, the United States and the latest showdowns that we find ourselves in? Quite a different world, although how different is it, right, from 1980 when that happened in the Olympics? Can't wait to meet him and talk to him. Thanks for joining us today. Have a wonderful, blessed Easter weekend. In the meantime, please download the show on Apple, Pandora, Spotify, and Stitcher. Also, go ahead and subscribe for us at youtube.com slash Megyn Kelly so you never miss a moment. We'll see you Monday. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 